When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Come meet me at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone, come gather round. To your favorite sound We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long We'll talk the games and all the rest About the team that we love best We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long We're gonna talk about the Cardinals all night long Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptaw at C70. Uh, again, no Alan Madlock, but Alan and I did get a chance to talk this week about the Tulsa Hell Drillers and their upcoming season. I'm putting that at the end of the show. Uh, so after after our conversation here, if you want to stick past that last commercial break, and you'll find about 15 minutes or so of, of Alan and I talking about that team. So hopefully if you're interested in that, you'll stick around. But until then, we're talking with Josh Jacobs. You'll find him at Josh Jaco MLB on the Twitter. He's the site expert over at uh, Redbird Rants, and he's part of the Newt News podcast. Josh, how are you tonight? Good, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk some Cardinal baseball. I know right before we went live, we are talking about there's there's actual games tomorrow. <laughs> so the, yeah. the long winter is finally over. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, uh, you know... It was long up until, and it seems to be this way a lot. It gets long in November and December, even though we have holidays yeah. and stuff. It's just that we just keep waiting for stuff. But once that calendar turns, and especially once winter warm-up happens, mm-hmm. um, it, it kind of, it picks up quite a bit. And it for is sure. hard to, a little bit hard to believe that we're already, you know, second two weeks basically into spring training. And um, you're right, two games tomorrow, a couple of split squad games. So we don't. I mean, it's it's early. You're not going to see anything yeah. that you're not used to, but um, it's still very nice to to have that on the TV screen. For sure. And I think I saw that, um, was it the the Marlins or the Mets one? One of them, too. The outfield will be Newt Bar, Scott, and Walker. So, like, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's just fun to see lineups like that, cards going, because it's, like, even in January with the winter warm-up, it's still a lot of hypotheticals we're talking about, storylines that we just can't see play out till camp breaks. Obviously, still, it's early in camp, so there's a lot to happen, but we can actually start to see some of these dynamics play out. And so maybe some of the concerns people had or some of the optimism that people have had, we actually get to see some like some things to back up either of those takes. So I'm excited that we can actually start talking about some real baseball instead of just what we think will happen. Yeah. Um, although I'm a lot better at what I think will happen. And then when we find out that that's wrong, then I have to try to explain that. Before we get into, though, the, the season and the offseason and everything else that goes along Cardinals, let's talk a little bit about you because we've not we've not interacted a whole lot. And I know you've, it's your first time on the show. So let's talk about when did you start 
working or writing for Redbird Rants and how long you've been there? Yeah, so I think my first story I did was December 2019 or no, actually, that, I'm sorry, it have been later than that. I don't know why I went all back to 2019. I think it was 2021. Yes, 2021. Um, and I just kind of came on as a writer. And um, at that point, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of the content that was out there. And so now I've seen there's just a really great diverse Cardinals community out there. But at the time, I was just kind of like, hey, I want to kind of get my foot in the door here and just kind of want to put some maybe a little bit more realistic content out there and kind of start, start I don't know I just yeah. I just felt like at that time it just I don't know I don't know what it was but anyway so I jumped in and at that time Robert Murray who's a um, national insider was overseeing the site at the time and so uh, he was just great about pouring into me and helping me develop as a writer and um, and then about a little under a year later he um, went on to go full-time with his um, national stuff and he turned over the site to me and the rest is history. And so we've had a really good year this last year. We've been, um, I've been pretty intentional about trying to bring on some really, um, some, some good writers, some different writers onto the team and try to diversify our content, um, and make it a place that people can read some good Cardinals content. And so that's been exciting. And then the, uh, new news podcast, I joined on with those guys basically like the last couple weeks of the regular season. Um, Cause I mean, just like your podcast, I think audio and video stuff is the way of the future. And that's how I like to best engage my content too. And it's a lot easier to interact with other people for like a, a podcast or a YouTube video than it is to interview them for a, a written story or something. Um, and so we've, we kind of have had a, a really exciting and fun off season on that end too. And so, yeah, being, uh, did some dabbling back in 2019. So that's why I was thinking back to that, but 2021 is when I really jumped full into this stuff and I love it. Oh, good. I mean, Redbird Rants has been around for, I mean, I was, I was talking with Jason Hill of Viva Alberto's last week, but, uh, you know, and Viva is the one that's been around uh, since the dawn of yeah. time, basically, or at least as you measure it by internet content. But <laughs> Redbird Rants has been around for a significant period of time. I, I mean, I've yeah. been writing for, it'll be coming up 17 years, and I think Redbird Rants has been around pretty much all of that time. Mm. So, I mean, it's gone through different hands, of course, as, as you were talking, yeah. but um, it is a, it's a pretty well-established site, and I'm sure that that's, that's a good thing to have. Oh, for sure. And I, I feel very lucky to be in the position with it now, too, just because, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, just, I, I was lucky to have a guy like Robert who is kind of uh, – overseeing the site at the time and pouring into me and developing me. And like you said, it is a pretty big platform too. And so I take that seriously too. Like I, um, we, we, as a website, like no one tells me what to write and I don't necessarily tell what our writers to write. And so I, I believe that we should have diverse opinions. I don't believe in telling people what they should think and how they should think, but I do want there to be quality content out there. So that's something I've been trying to develop over the last year and will continue to be doing is providing content that's realistic, that's fun, that stretches people, but also represents a variety of opinions. You'll go on there and you might see me say something. You might see one of our other writers come from the exact opposite angle. And I like that there's uh, a diversity of voices and a diversity of opinions on the site because that's what makes Cardinals Nation so great is that people are passionate, they care about the details, and they have their opinions. And so we want that well represented. Yeah. And then I, I got to ask, as a podcaster, yeah, I, I'm looking at, you know, Newt News, which again, fairly new in in the space, if you will. Um, and somehow y'all are able to get some incredible guests. I know you've had the <laughs> the um, telethon, if you will, uh, earlier yeah. at the spring and, and people that I haven't even seen actually be 
guests. I mean, I've had a few of them on here, but how are y'all able to line up such such a uh, all star cast? Yeah, I, the, your guess is as good as mine sometimes, honestly. <laughs> like, it, like in some ways, we just kind of shoot the shot and ask. And mm-hmm. um, like I, even before I hopped on, um, Sandy and Andrew had developed good relationships like Jeff Jones, Katie Wu, a lot of the local people. And I think in general, a lot of the local writers are really good about trying to make time for stuff like this. Obviously, their schedules are so busy. And so mm-hmm. even any time they're able to give is awesome. But then like Trevor just follow Rosenthal was following me on Twitter. And I was just like, hey, man, like. You want to hop on? He's like, sure. And so that's just kind of what we've done with like Victor Scott. And like we just had on uh, Max Rajik recently. Uh, we had Bryson Motts on this past week. And so, um, and we, we like trying to get a diversity of uh, voices onto that podcast too. So we like getting people who cover the team. Um, we had like uh, Robbie uh, Hyde on recently who does like some Red Sox coverage just because we wanted his takes on High Bloom. And so honestly, we just cast the net wide and see who says yes. Um, and I think writing too has helped with that. So like now that some of my content's out there, people have like, sometimes they've heard of me before we've interacted on Twitter before. So it makes it a little bit easier to make the ask. So, um, and then also too, like, uh, Andrew and Sandy were pretty big into world baseball classic coverage when they started the podcast. And so, um, I think that helped them boom the platform a little bit. Um, there's a huge Japanese audience, at least at the beginning when they started the podcast. And so I think that helped kind of boost our our reach a little bit at the beginning but i'd say for the majority now it's like 85 percent st louis area people listening but yeah we're really lucky to get the guests that we do yeah it was pretty pretty incredible pretty nice little start and uh hopefully that will continue um again you're right you jumped on at the end of last year which was not exactly the best time (laughs) to be talking (laughs) cardinal baseball but i guess there's always something to pick at uh when the you go sorting through the ashes uh, when you look at this off season and, and, you know, here we are, like you said, we're really through it. We're coming to, to yep. real games tomorrow. We've kind of got the, the gist of what the Cardinals are doing. When you look at it as a big picture type of thing, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have been thinking a lot about this the past few days, actually. I'll have a story going up on Sunday, giving my official grade for the off season, but I ended up kind of looking at it through three lenses because, if you go all the way back to July and then even like the beginning of October, I think people like to say that we've heard the story before the Cardinals are going to spend, it's going to be different and then it never is. And I, I agree. I think you, most off seasons you kind of come in and they maybe pepper some things in that gets you a little bit optimistic, but at the end of the day, they kind of over underwhelm a little bit, but the quotes from like Bill DeWitt, the third saying that they're going to climb the payroll rankings. Um, some of the rhetoric from a John Mosellock early in the off season, or at least at the end of the regular season, it felt like this was actually going to be different for once. And you even had some confirmation that they were thinking about trying to stretch payroll to about 200 million, which was where they had aimed to be at the end of 2023 if they were in contention. So you have all these different narratives kind of going around. And so my expectations were a lot higher on them this off season than typical off seasons were, where you kind of think maybe one, maybe not big swing, but like a Wilson Contreras type swing or the Sonny Gray type signings. But I kind of thought they'd make two of those type of moves, you know, go get two frontline starters and patch all the needs. And then the off season started to play out and you started to hear a conversation about the RSN stuff. And you even heard some mixed like kind of opinions from the DeWitts where they sometimes said it did make an impact. Sometimes they didn't say it made an impact. And I mean, you just look at the rotation. I'm of the opinion that they, They've upgraded from where they're at last year. I think the floor is higher for that group than it was last year. 
the ceiling leaves a lot to be desired. Um, I've really liked what they've done with the bullpen in general. I think bullpens are kind of like throwing darts at a board and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they got two more established guys in Kittredge and Middleton, but then a lot of those high upside relievers like an O'Brien, a Fernandez, a Robertson, James, some of those names, I've really liked that. And then you even pepper in like the Hein Bloom hiring, I think was a huge step in the right direction for the future of this organization. Uh, Yadier Molina coming in in official capacity is a really exciting thing. So I think there's a lot to be liked about the offseason, but I think they really underwhelmed in terms of taking that big swing to try and get into like a real contender range. And so I think if you ask most fans and myself included, you're you're probably looking at this team as a mid 80s win team. Some people think maybe a few wins less in the low 80s. Some think they can get up to 90 wins. And I think that's successful when you consider this team won 71 games last year. Like that's a 15 win increase. That's nothing to sneeze at. But I think they left a lot to be desired. It's almost like when I, so what I'll give their grade as is a B minus. And when I think of like a grading scale, like an A is great. A B is like, you did really well. A B minus to me is you left out something significant. Like you did a lot of what you needed to do, but there was, there was a big piece missing. I think it's that second frontline guy. You look at the rotation it's Sonny Gray, and then I think Steven Matz is the second best guy after that, talent-wise at least, but you can't rely on him to stay healthy. It's just like a bunch of fours and fives, and so I think for the regular season, that's a blueprint to win the NL Central, uh, but it's not necessarily a like a foolproof plan. Um, but obviously, Cardinals fans rightfully want the team to be winning in October, and as currently constructed, I don't see how they win more than a playoff series. So I think the offseason was underwhelming. I don't think it was a complete failure like a lot of people think, um, but I also think they left a lot to be desired, and it makes me really, really hesitant about the future of the DeWitt's ownership and what they actually want from this team, because I kind of doubt that John Mosaic just decided to spend 20 to $30 million less than he could have. I think if they had given him a larger budget, he probably uses that. Um, but you've heard comments from people over the years that the DeWitts kind of look back at missing on David Price, missing on Jason Hayward. And instead of thinking, oh, we just dodged a bull with those contracts, they've kind of convinced themselves, hey, we don't need to make those big swings because they typically don't work out. And if that's the mentality they're going to carry, I'm worried about how sustainable the Cardinals can be as a contender outside of the draft and develop model that we know they're always going to have. Um, so I thought if there's ever an off season to kind of break that mold, it was this one and they didn't. So B minus frustrated in some ways, but I I'm kind of impressed that they got so much done, especially because you look around baseball and there's a lot of teams that did very little. No, that's definitely true. I mean, it could have been, could have been worse, I guess is what we're getting at. Um, <laughs> as, and I think, you know, people like, you know, the Cubs would probably say that um, Cub fans would just because, you know, the activity has not been there for sure. Uh, although yeah. there's still the opportunity perhaps to sign Bellinger or something like that, that might, that might change that. But, um, but yeah, it, it does feel like instead of last year being, you know, the wake up call, it's, it seems like it's a little bit more of the, um, aberration right i mean this team was running in the 85 to 88 win range for a while before last year and now it seems like it's back up there and it's great that it's back up there but you know it did like you said it it gave them a chance to to say hey let's do something you know 
a little bit out of character and they didn't. Um, yeah. And it is a bit, a bit frustrating from the fan side of things to say when a division is this clearly weak, you shouldn't be content with just, well, we can probably win this division. You should be, you know, like you said, you know, one more move and you're probably the slam dunk here and a chance for something else. Do you think that, you know, again, 2011 happened, other years have happened. Do you think that the just get in mentality still works as well mm. with the three wild cards that we've seen? Now, obviously, we had some of that last year, but I just don't know that. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how this plays out over the next four or five years. If it still is these, you know, wild cards have a chance or if it just makes it that much better for the teams that get those, you know, top two spots. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually really curious as well. Like you said, to figure, see what that happens. Cause obviously the diamondbacks made it this year, which I think is a true example of win and get in the Phillies were the third wild card last year, but, or two years ago, but, I mean, you see the superstar talent they have and the top of the rotation they had. It didn't really feel like they were the typical third wildcard team. I I think it's it's a valid way. It's like I think it's valid to look at it like that, but it's more the exception than is the rule, right? Like, I just don't... I think if you have a team like the Dodgers, you're probably going to win a couple World Series over a decade. If you have a roster like the Cardinals, you might make the playoffs half the decade or a little over half the decade, but then your chances of winning one are slimmer than the Dodgers winning two. Like I just, I, I don't love that as the model. Um, I'm also really curious to see what happens with revenue. Uh, Cause that, especially if the, if the TV stuff isn't as, um, as profitable as they're thinking it is, or maybe on the other end, if it is and the Cardinals can develop a network of their own, maybe they like, there's some clubs that benefit like the Cardinals that are blue bloods, that are always going to be profitable compared to some of the smaller markets. And so maybe there does become a gap where you have the Dodgers, the Braves, the Yankees, the Mets of the world that are this clear top tier, but then the Cardinals can maybe part be part of a second tier where they're not going to be the big, big spenders, but they can create a gap between themselves and the Milwaukee's of the world, the Seattle's of the world, all that. Um, but yeah, in general, I don't love that as the mentality. Um, and there's something that Derek Gould said the other day that I thought was interesting. I don't think the Cardinals necessarily, like I know Mosaic never really likes to commit to the idea that they've built for October. Like he always says, well, you've got to get there, which is true. Like last year they didn't get there. So who cares what the team looked like for October? Um, but I, I, Gould said the other day, he's like, they don't look at their team as a just good enough to make the playoffs. They think they're better than we think they are. And so I'm curious to see, this year and in the coming years, what their internal evaluations of their teams look like and how do the Cardinals really have, they really convinced themselves that they're not that far off from the Dodgers and the Braves. Cause if so, I think they're in for a rude awakening or maybe that is a little bit of posturing. Um, and I don't, maybe this is in the same vein, but I was curious as you're talking, what your perspective is on this, but what do you think is like the championship window of this club? Like, Obviously, I don't think any of us really think 2024 is the year that they're a legit contender. But do you think in the next couple of years, as some of this young talent is coming up, money's coming off the books, that maybe we're maybe we're in that in-between phase where they're a contender, but they're not really it yet. But then in two to three years, when you've got like year four of Walker and year four of Newbar and year three of Victor Scott, like do you think there's a, a window here where 2025, 2026 is when Cardinal fans should really be excited? Or are you a little more pessimistic on the future of the club? 
Well, I think that, you know, I think if you ask Cardinal Saints, the window never closes, which is yeah. to some degree true. But again, we're, like we're saying, they, they get to the playoffs and you, you do never know for sure. But when you're going to talk about, you know, at this time of year, do you think that they're going to be a World Series winner? You know, yeah, you, it, it's going to be very interesting because it depends, you know, what do we, what do they do with Paul Goldschmidt at this, yeah. you know, if, if Paul Goldschmidt is not here next year, you know, you know, yes, you can cover first base, but that does kind of start to weaken the lineup some, right? Um, yeah. Assuming that Goldie doesn't, you know, kind of fall off a little bit this year. Um, you know, I feel like they're probably going to try to extend him at some point in time and he'll probably be here, but um, you know, yes, with those young guys coming up, but the, the biggest thing is going to be, and, and it's something we don't know right now, is, you know, who's going to be throwing. Mm. Um, you know, you've got a lot of guys that are going to be gone after this year or have a chance to be gone after this year. A lot of guys, I mean, there's hardly anybody except, I don't think Sonny Gray is probably the only guy that could be here after next year at the way things are going, unless you start getting into the, you know, the prospects. And, you know, even them, they're, they're not necessarily top of the line. We, we like what, Roby could be and, and Tink Hintz is obviously a, a talent but um, so I don't know I you know I think they're going to be competitive for a long period of time but if you're ever going to say is there a year where they're going to be considered a World Series favorite going into spring training or going into the season I don't I don't know I don't know if they'll ever get to that yeah yeah I can I could totally see that that makes a lot of sense I and I think that's part of where we're going to have to see what the spending discrepancy starts to look like, because if the Dodgers of the world just can outspend everyone every year and there's never going to be a limit on it, then I do think there is just going to be this natural gap where it's like the Dodgers, it's the Astros or teams like that, and then everybody else. And there would be that second tier below them of they're never going to be the favorites, but they're like the outside looking in that mix. Maybe like what the Phillies would be right now, where I don't think many people would say they're the favorites, but would it be surprising to see them win the world series? No. So I can see the Cardinals fitting into that kind of realm um, in the near future, but I'm also excited too, to see maybe there's an opening in the next year or two, three years when they might feel a little bit more confident spending big dollar on one or two players again, when they feel like their depth is a little bit better. Cause I mean, you do look at the rotation the last few years and every single deadline since 2019, they've had to go out and grab two back-end starters and they've had to patch some holes in the bullpen where it's like hey we would love to have a number another frontline starter but we need we legit need innings at the back end of the bull at back end of the rotation if we're even going to make the playoffs and so i wonder if like some of those young kids come up like you said where even if tinkens is more of a three and tico roby's more of a three type like the cardinals just haven't had young pitchers develop where they can even trust them to be that in the last few years and so if they don't have to go out and spend $15 million every single season on three different pitchers to fill those back-end innings, is that free up money to go after and make a big swing at a big bat or a big top-of-the-rotation starter? Maybe that's a little bit of wishful thinking with how they've operated in the past few years. But I can also, in my head, as I think, talk that out a little bit, I can see the scenario where they're like, hey, we just haven't been able to really – go all in on a few guys that you would consider more top end free agents because we have all these needs we've created for ourselves that we have to fill. And so maybe that's where some of the young guys are coming up because you look at the position player core and it's, I mean, obviously arbitration numbers are going to go up, so it will get more expensive, but most of those guys aren't free agents until 2028, 2029, 2030. And then the pitching side of things you're going to have, and obviously like you can look at the rotation or the pitching prospects from the late 2020 or 2010s and 
you never know what they're going to turn out to be. But if one or two, or even just two of hence Roby, Jerpy, um, Thompson, Graceffo, two of those guys become staples in the rotation, that's cost saving, right? You're, you're spending a million dollars on a starting pitcher instead of 14, 15 million, and you can maybe move resources around. So I think that's maybe an underlying thing where this team could jump into a higher level of contention than it's been in recent years. But who knows? Even even looking, like you said, beyond 2024, it's just tough to know because who knows what other clubs are going to do? Who knows what prospects are going to turn into? But yeah, it's an interesting conversation at least. Yeah, and I mean, and I think it was Dane Perry and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago about the fact that, you know, the Cardinals, like you said, are, are very well primed to turn – you know, this into a direct to consumer model and be yeah. able to sell straight to consumers and, and probably have some over the air. And, you know, if, if, if Bally goes belly up, uh, which is maybe a little bit debatable with this Amazon bit, but you know, we're still going to play in this by ear, but even yeah. without that, they may be able to do a direct to consumer type of thing. And if they are, you know, they're better positioned for most the most teams for that. So if, if there's a market correction on salaries, because, all of a sudden there's not as much money coming into baseball. The Cardinals could turn into one of the bigger spenders because they have that kind of revenue stream that, that others may not. Now on the flip side of that is we don't necessarily know that the DeWitts are going to spend it. And I don't say that in the, you know, oh, DeWitts are trying to make money, you know, that I'm not, I'm saying mm-hmm. that, but you know, again, they're comfortable at 80 something wins. And if 80 something wins takes 175 million, then they'll do that. But if, 85 to 88 wins takes 125 million then they would probably spend that i don't know that they are ones that just want to put the hammer down um and again bill dewitt's 81 years old Mm. um i I believe that's right it's right in that area um you know doesn't mean he didn't have another decade and a half on any who knows i mean he seems to be in good health seems to have everything but there comes a point where you start thinking about, you know, transition, if nothing else. Um, and I, I know that Bill DeWitt the third is kind of lined up for that. You know, does it change when Bill DeWitt the third has a little bit of handle on things? I don't know that it does because of, you know, he's been involved with all this stuff now. But I, I think the, the underlying thing may be, you know, what does Heim Bloom bring to this? Does he bring a different evaluation? Does he say, guys, you're not that close to the Dodgers? You know, I don't know why you're thinking this. Um, and do they listen to him? I, I, you know, that could be really an interesting, you know, something we may not even really know because it's mm-hmm. kind of behind closed doors, but maybe something to watch in the next year or two is just how much influence that Bloom seems to have. And that may help modify the, the course of the Cardinals for the next few years. Oh, I a thousand percent agree with that. I I was at winter warm up and when uh, we didn't even know the DeWitts were coming to speak. So they walked into the room randomly and we're all like, oh, I guess we're going to get time with the DeWitts. This will be fun. And um, they kind of came out and uh, someone I can't remember who asked them about the bloom hire. And I thought it was super interesting that um, Bill, he, he started out by saying, actually, it was my idea. And so I was like, whoa, wait a second. And he so he said originally when he saw the news that Bloom had been fired, he thought to himself, hmm, that would be a really interesting voice to bring into our organization. And then he said, like two days later, he was texting with Mosaic or Mosaic came in and talked to him and said the same thing. And, and DeWitt goes, yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing. We should look into this. And that encouraged me to be like, hey, it wasn't John Mosaic coming to Bill DeWitt saying, hey, 
obviously my time's coming up. I think you need to hear an outside voice. Bill DeWitt also recognized, hey, this organization could really benefit from someone like Heim Bloom, who has been a part of a, a crazy market like Boston and who has also been a part of the Tampa Bay revival. And to have him, at the very least, come in and look at our organization and maybe be the succession plan to a John Mazalock. So I do think that there is potentially a window here where if maybe DeWitt's been hearing it from Mosaic for years, and Mosaic himself has said this, where at some point when you've been in the same role for over a decade, almost two decades now, like you're, it's hard for your voice to continue to carry the same weight into, like at some point you kind of just need to change the tune, you need to change the person that's in charge because just the voice kind of starts to run a little, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it just kind of grows old a little bit. Yeah, it's a little so stale. Maybe, yeah, stale. And so maybe like a, a DeWitt, maybe he was li- open to listening to a Bloom who's like, okay, this guy's been in Boston. This guy's been in Tampa and he's seeing things differently. So maybe there's a way that he wants to spend a little bit differently. But then also, even if they're in that 180 to 190, and obviously with inflation, it'll probably rise anyways. But if they're still in that, like, let's say like 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th in payroll and baseball at the most that they spend, Someone like Heim Bloom has proven that he can create a sustainable winner. Obviously, he wasn't in charge in Tampa, but he was a huge part of their success with a bottom three payroll in baseball. And then, like, the Boston stuff is interesting because the Mookie Betts trade really wasn't a Heim Bloom decision. That was ownership telling him he needs to move off of Mookie Betts and also move off the David Price money. So, like, how are you going to get good prospects in return for Mookie Betts when he's got a year left until free agency and you also have to attach a terrible contract to him like that's a lose-lose situation and they made the ALCS in 2021 and then you look at the organization he left like obviously the Red Sox aren't in a great spot but they also have a top five farm system in baseball so like Bloom has done some really interesting stuff where I think even if the Cardinals don't necessarily change their spending habits he might be the one that has that fresh voice to get them back to where they're at in the early 2010s where even then the Cardinals weren't necessarily spending big, but they were that team that could go get that veteran and revive them for a year out of the bullpen or in the rotation. They were that team that was consistently pumping out top end pitching prospects. Bloom is that kind of guy who around the league right now is viewed in that kind of way. And maybe Randy Flores is that guy. Maple Mike, Michael Gersh is that guy, but I do think you're right that Bloom could be the X factor between this club kind of middling in the waters of 85 to 88 wins and maybe being a team that gets into the low 90s, mid 90s wins, even if they're not spending a ton, but also maybe he is the guy that can convince the DeWitts to operate a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just going to take some time, obviously, yeah. for them, for one, for him to, to, you know, to to build enough credibility, but also for us to even see what's going on. So it should be, should be something kind of interesting. Hopefully, though, on the field is a lot more interesting this year, so we don't have to worry <laughs> about the palace intrigue that's going on. Um, as we say, games start tomorrow, and I think it's kind of interesting. Maybe there's a number of, there's just a few. There's not very many battles going on in spring training, but one of them might be Zach Thompson versus Matthew Levitor. I think there's a yeah. there's a chance that neither one of them makes the roster. I think there's a, there's very little chance that both of them makes the roster. But especially as we've heard about this talk about maybe using a six starter for the first couple of weeks, um, if that's the case, it feels like one of these guys is, is going to go north. Who do you think it's going to be? And what do you look for this spring to try to, what do you think you would look for, or the Cardinals should look for as they're trying to make this decision? Yeah, I, I'd say at least, so, so the early front runner, in my opinion, would be Zach Thompson because of the su- success he showed out of the rotation last year. And 
obviously even I think it was early May or late April when they sent him down to Memphis last year to stretch out as a starter. So it wasn't like and, and even his Memphis stuff was interesting because he's talked about how the ABS system kind of threw him mm-hmm. off and that mm-hmm. the automated strike zone was just not helpful for his game. And so I think the AAA numbers, I don't really take a ton of stock in. I like the the fact that he came back up to St. Louis and really produced. Um, obviously, he wasn't like an incredible fifth starter, but he was consistently getting to the fifth inning, allowing three runs-ish and striking out batters. And that's just something we haven't seen from Matthew Libertor. I think he had one quality start in his like eight or nine starts he had last year. Um, and it was that Tampa Bay game where he just yeah. kind of looked nothing like, in a good way, nothing like himself. And so I think for like Libertor specifically, if they if his velocity is staying staying and being firm once he gets past 70, 80 pitches, then I think that's something you could potentially that could maybe change the tides a little bit here. Um, but I think the early favorite would be Thompson. But I think a lot of it's probably less about like the actual results and more about what their stuff looks like. Is their velocity keeping up? Um, what's their swing and miss like? Because I, kn- I know even even though the veteran starters they brought in aren't necessarily like that, that's something that they prioritize at least with the relievers. And I think long-term, they do want to move more t- towards swing and miss guys. Um, and Libertor is someone that should be able to do that. He just hasn't been able to realize that potential at the major league level. Um, something I do think is really interesting with both of them, though, is that uh, they both have two options left. Or, sorry, one option left. And so... If they send either of them down to AAA, that means next year they have zero options. And so they have to be on the big league roster or they get DFA'd. And so I do think there's that's like an interesting plot point of maybe both could make the roster and be consistent players on the roster so that they're able to maintain some flexibility with them long term because we've seen both of them have success as bullpen arms. And you do have some interesting depth now in Memphis with Goran Graceffo, Michael McGreevy, uh, Sam Rebers, like Adam Coffinstein, like you've got other arms now in a way that you haven't had in the past years. Um, whether or not they go to that six-man rotation, I it seems too early to tell. And it seems like from what people have talked about, it would only be a year, maybe two, or not a year, sorry, a week, maybe two weeks where they stick with that six-man. It wouldn't be like a two-month plan. Um, so yeah, Thompson would be my early favorite right now. I, I do think he's probably more likely to make the roster because if – I just I just think they trust him a little bit more in a lawn man or rotation role right now than Libertor. Um but it wouldn't surprise me either if both of them start in Memphis and they kind of duke it out in Memphis and then once an injury pops up, one of them is called back up to be a rotation arm. But I, I do think you're right. That's basically the I mean obviously there's some bullpen battles right now, which we might talk about, but that sixth quote unquote sixth man seems to be the biggest roster competition right now and i'd be interested to see if maybe a gordon graceffo can move his way into the mix because you talk about two off seasons ago he was a guy that the cardinals did not want to move they were super high on graceffo after his 2022 season 2023 he struggled with a lot of injuries and so i wonder how much of obviously he's he's less his pedigree is a little bit less in the eyes of the cardinals right now but i wonder if the strong spring he can leapfrog a libertor or a Thompson, but that remains to be seen. You know, the the kicker with that is, and with a number of other people that I've heard mentioned, um, it's just the the fact that he's not on the forty man roster. Yeah, um, and trying to, you know, the Cardinals have a, a forty man right now that is pretty. I feel like it's pretty strong. I mean, I was a little bit surprised to see them um, go out and get a the reboss and um, 
let Gomez go through waivers. Not that Gomez is necessarily any big shakes. I was just surprised that that's, that's what they did. Um, mm. But, you know, right now, you know, unless they got rid of a reboss again, which would be kind of silly because they just got him in here. Um, there's not a whole lot of spots True. on the 40 man that, that just scream out dead weight. So I, I have problems believing that the Cardinals are going to go that way, unless it's just, there's no option, you know, if he yeah. <laughs> doesn't give up a hit in spring, then maybe we're talking about something, but uh, you know, I, I feel like that's a problem now, especially with the other arms out there, you know, if there wasn't, mm-hmm. there wasn't the arms that are on the 40 man, like Thompson, like Libertor, even like Klaffenstein and reverse that are, are on the 40 man. Um, then maybe there's a different, maybe that's a different discussion, but, um, and, and who knows? I mean, things will change, you know, and, you know, when you, you mentioned him earlier, Josh James is, is a guy that they got in on a minor league deal. He's not on the 40 man, you know, but we've seen him be very quality, have quality stuff at the major league level. So if he looks like he's back to that, what did they do? I, I, I don't know. I think they, I don't, this is why I was really surprised they went with a 20, got a, a rule five guy because mm. it does seem to tie their hands a little bit. Yeah, and I'll be interested to see how married they are to the idea of Fernandez too, because it, 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 like you said, it does even like bring in Rivas. Like it does feel silly to bring in a Fernandez, and if he doesn't like bomb his opportunity to just let him go back to Boston, especially because there are things in his arsenal they really like. But I do agree with you. I think in general, a Graceffo, a James, any of these guys who aren't on the forty man, like maybe once June comes around in July when you like really don't have time to mess around with the roster spots anymore, and you just got to kind of go through best guys, or maybe a Lance Lynn has a season ending injury. And so 60 day IL, you open up a 40 man roster spot. Maybe that's a point when you bring up a Graceffo. Um, But I do agree. I think right now it would take, it'd take an exceptional spring training for him to open eyes into leapfrog and cause them to DFA someone. Um, but, but I think once we get to the June, July range, that's where we could see stuff. And I've actually been kind of surprised that Takoa Roby's name has come up so much with like the Derek Goulds of the world. John Mozalox brought him up. Like it doesn't, they seem to think he's a little closer than I thought they would have thought at this point. And maybe they're just kind of hyping him up as someone that comes in a few years, but like he'll kind of mosaic will kind of toss Roby's name out there when he talks about McGreevy and Graceffo and these guys. And he doesn't really throw Tinkens' name into that mix right now. Obviously that's not because they don't think highly of Tinkens, but I think it, in their heads, I think they think Roby, if he's healthy is a guy that could be fast tracked a little bit, but again, that wouldn't be a spring training type of thing. That's more of mid season, but Obviously, they're really hoping this rotation goes pole to pole and they don't really have to rely on those young arms this year. But at the same time, like if they're ever going to turn the reins over to the young guys, they have to have opportunity. Um, they didn't run with it last year, uh, but maybe this is the year they do. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to we'll have to see. The, I'm thinking, I mean, Roby and Hintz probably both start at Springfield. Um, yeah. But it does feel like Roby's a little bit more more polished um, Hintz is still trying to develop getting, getting deeper into games. So, yeah. um, you know, could it be a situation where he skips Memphis? I'd be surprised. But as you said, you know, the Memphis rotation is crowded. I mean, we're getting, you know, we are talking about Roby and, and Hintz at Springfield in part because that's where they need to be, but in part because there's no necessarily any room for them mm-hmm. in Memphis, especially if you've got a lever tour or a Thompson or both in that rotation. Um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of arms, you know, we'll, we'll wait to see how, what the quality is, but at least there are arms that look like they could be major league um, contributors, if not stars. 
Yeah, for sure. And like, even just kind of back to that conversation earlier of like, like the, it would actually be a huge win for the Cardinals to develop a number five or a number four starter. Cause when was the last time they did that? Like kind of mm-hmm. Dakota Hudson, but he did that sporadically over a two to three year period and then kind of fell off. And Jack Flaherty was, I mean, obviously he was more than a number four or five, but they just haven't had cost controlled arms in the rotation in a while outside of like small stretches where they're trying to fill innings. And so even if one of those guys is just a number four starter, that saves you 15, $18 million on a back end of the rotation guy that you can allocate those funds elsewhere. And then also too, you're not worried going into a season that if one of your top five guys goes down, then you're kind of playing patchwork the whole time. Now you kind of have a stable of arms where even if it's not Thompson or Libertor, I feel a lot better about those two plus Graceffo plus McGreevy plus some of these other guys, one of them panning out compared to last year. It was like after the starting five, it's Dakota Hudson, which did, I did not feel good about. And then last year's Libertor, like you just, it just felt you're really walking on thin ice there with that rotation. And not that it's a lot stronger now, but I do feel like the floor is a little bit higher with those guys where you're hopefully not getting guys that are going two innings, giving up eight runs. Like you just can't, you you can't even play competitive baseball when two or three guys in your rotation can't get past the fourth inning. Like that's just an impossible way to carry 162 game season. So it's not flashy to have guys that have four ERAs, but when they're getting past the fifth and sixth inning, that helps your ball club out a lot in the regular season. Obviously it's not a postseason winning formula, um, but just how many guys or how many times have we seen over the last few years? Obviously 2023 is a big example of it, but you go back to like 2021 when Johan Oviedo was being thrown out there and they're openly acknowledging like, Hey, he's not ready, but like we have to throw someone. Now you're in a spot where you, you have a basically a five man rotation in Memphis of guys who could pitch at the big league level this year, which I can't remember last time they've had that many guys that could fill in as a five starter. Yeah. I mean, and you know, again, you, like you said, you, you saw Jerome last year that really definitely didn't look like he was ready, but you know, give him a little bit more time at triple a and you know, who knows what, what that turns out to be. I, it's, it is interesting. Like I said, there's not the high end talent that we've, it's not the Alex Reyes, Luke Weaver group that was coming through, right. That we yeah. got all excited about, even though that didn't necessarily pan out, it, you know, a lot, a lot higher, upside it felt like um but these are guys that should be able to contribute and and like you said makes you feel a little bit better that if there is an injury that they're going to be able to cover it with something quality um and not just have to to grab whatever's there now we talking about injury i think we need to we shift gears a little bit but um you know tommy edmund this offseason had some sort of surgery uh, the the uh the team hadn't been really terribly open about it and neither is Tommy but you know the 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 thumb area that he's had surgery for it you know he's still not ready to swing a bat yet he there seemed to be hopeful that he's gonna be ready for opening day but I don't know in my experience and 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 these kind of things just you know how it's happened for the Cardinals and stuff in the past it really seems like there's a real strong chance that he's gonna wind up on on the injured list to start the year is that what you're feeling or do you think that he's going to be okay? Yeah, that's a tough one. Cause it is so early too, that it's like, what uh, they, and they haven't really been open with how long they, ex- they expected to be before he swings a bat. And um, I would probably lean toward that's probably cause they don't know. Like, I think they're very, I, cause they seem to not think it'd be an issue at all. And then 
as spring training inch closer and closer, they got more and more open about how concerned they were about it. Um, and actually also sidebar with it too. I think this is potentially a really good thing for Tommy because he's talked about how he struggled with soreness in his wrist and his thumb area for quite a while now. And so obviously if he doesn't start the season on the roster, that's really frustrating as a Cardinal fan, but there might be a chance that Edmonds a better hitter uh, when he's feeling a little bit more comfortable and not dealing with his wrist soreness all the time. But I would say if I had to bet right now, Edmund probably doesn't start the year on or, or does starts the year on the IL doesn't start opening day. Um, but it's, it's just too hard to tell right now because they really haven't tipped their hand with that, um, which I think obviously that's opened up this conversation about shortstop depth and center field depth. So I'm, I'm curious what how you feel they stack up on opening day if Edmund isn't available. If Edmund isn't available, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, you really got to hope that Mason Wynn can hold down short, which I think he can. I'm not assuming he's held, you know, he's been have, dealing with some tightness, but it feels like that's something that that'll work out in the next few days. And if we're still talking about that close to opening day, then yeah, we got an issue, but I don't think we will be. So, you know, you've got, you'll have Mason Wynn out there and you, and then, you know, if you have to put a Donovan or somebody there for an inning or two or half a game or, or a game, I think you can get by. Um, <clears throat> in center, I mean, I, I think it gives Dylan Carlson a chance yeah. to at least try to show that something's different there. I mean, I'm, I've been big on, on Carlson, and I'd rather, honestly rather see him out there in center with the potential for his bat. And his glove is very good, obviously. We know this. Um, I, I think he's just as good as Tommy Edmund feeling, fielding. If his bat could be close to what we thought it was going to be, he's the better option in center field. And then when Tommy gets back, you can play him wherever you want to here and there and give guys days off and, you know, things of that nature. But, you know, it, you know, there is that talk when we've heard it about getting a guy like a Nick Ahmed to come and be your veteran backup shortstop, um, figuring that your outfield is, is pretty contained. I, you know, I know we hear a lot about Victor Scott to second, but if we see him before September, I'd be, either one really shocked or two, probably the season's gone really, really poorly. Um, so I don't, I think you could probably cover Walker, Carlson, Newt Bar, uh, Burleson. I mean, Newt Bar can cover center if he had to. Uh, Carlson's going to be better at it. Um, so yeah, if, if Edmund starts the year on the injured list, I think you can get by. I don't know that you have to go out and get an Ahmed or anything like that, although they might. Although, and then again, you get into that forty-man conversation that we've talked about, you know, and yeah. and he's a guy that either you're keeping around, and you know, again, then you're kind of looking at this whole, you know, maybe you talk Matt Carpenter and just be a coach, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, because um, having that extra. I don't want to say that that, but that kind of a dead weight on the twenty-six man roster does kind of cause some problems at some times. Yeah. I think that's where this conversation gets really interesting. If they do decide to bring in like a Nick Ahmed, which I, that was one of the, the, there was people who, and I don't know how you felt about their position player group going into the off season, but I know there are some people who thought they needed to bring in some extra, extra um, oomph there, but I felt really comfortable with the unit they had. The only thing that I thought they were maybe a little bit thin on was a backup shortstop because of the fact that it takes one Tommy Edmund injury or one Mason win not performing to the high level or his himself getting injured to 
basically only have one reliable shortstop on the roster. Um, but I do think they've talked about Thomas and JC getting some opportunities at shortstop. Mm-hmm. And so I do think very early on how he looks defensively will matter. Um, I do think their feelings about a Brendan Donovan and how much they think he can play. Cause obviously they think he can play every once in a while shortstop, but do they feel comfortable him covering a week's stretches there if needed? I think if the answer to any either of those questions is yes, we feel good about that, then I don't really see a reason for a Nick Ahmed. But if it's no, even with Edmund potentially being ready in opening day, if a Nick Ahmed is willing to come to St. Louis, I think that's great insurance to have. I do think what it does, though, is that potential. I would bet that Alec Burleson is the guy who ends up getting demoted because of that, which mm-hmm. isn't fair. Um because I, I, I just kind of doubt they get rid of Matt Carpenter unless it's just going really bad in spring training. Um, I think just all the talk about why they advocated for him and why they thought he'd be important in the clubhouse. I think he's making the roster and he's probably surviving most of the year unless things go really poorly. Or again, unless they get into a roster current situation, they have to have a hard conversation. But I think Alec Burleson becomes kind of like what Dylan Carlson was last year where they just look at all these other options and they said, okay, you're the guy who's going to have reduced playing time. You're going to be the guy that gets sent to Memphis every once in a while. Um, so I do, I do think that's an interesting situation to watch if they were to bring in a backup shortstop. Um, I also think too, the Dylan Carlson situation, I think it'd be honestly really good for him. Like you said, for Edmund to start the year on the IL because he finally would get an opportunity to run with center field for a little bit. And, when I look at the Cardinals roster construction for the rest of the season and going into 2025, I think Carlson or Edmund, or I feel like one of those two guys is going to end up being the odd man out at some point because they both carry, especially if Dylan Carlson is able to rebound a little bit this year. Both of them carry at least some value in the league. And then if Victor Scott does continue to progress and he is a guy they feel confident in, then they have a center fielder and they have a shortstop. So I think both of those two guys are too valuable to be the second, first and second guys off the bench, especially like Edmund just to me is an issue. I know they extended him for two years. So they've got him fully extended out until he hits uh, free agency after the 2025 season. But I do think if they ever do decide to go in on a higher caliber pitcher, maybe Edmund is one of the pieces that they put on the table to pull something off like that. Or if Carlson has a rebound year, maybe he's a guy they put on the table. And that's how I think maybe a Victor Scott comes up a little bit earlier this year is that they use a Burleson and Edmund or uh, an Ed or a Carlson to go out and get some pieces at the deadline. Um, but yeah, in the immediate future, center field feels fine to me because I do think you can move Newbar over there. I do feel good about Carlson there. I do think if all else fails, they could go to Victor Scott, but that probably means a lot of injuries happened. Um, mm-hmm. Shortstop, though, is the one where it's like, okay, after Win and Edmund, I don't know what you do with that. I love Thomas the JC, but clearly, at least right now, they don't think he's a primary shortstop, and maybe he proves us wrong in spring. I really don't like the idea of a Jose Fermin shortstop for a while. Nick Ahmed isn't flashy at all, but at least he's a guy that's going to play really good defense. So, yeah, that's definitely one to watch. Yeah, but then again, yeah, you get a Matt who can't hit necessarily, and and Carl Carpenter who can't hit, and all of a sudden your bench is very weak. Yeah, um, which granted is less of an issue in the DH era, but it's still it's still something. True. Um, we we see the the thing today, Joey Votto running his car through the car wash and still not signed, uh, kind of wishing he was at spring training instead of doing yeah. that. If. <sighs> I know that he doesn't have the, the cachet with the Cardinals and I know he would have cost more than the league minimum, 
But there's a real big part of me that would have rather seen them take a gamble on a guy like Joey Votto than bring Matt Carpenter back. Uh, I don't know. What do you think on that? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, even just for the personality alone, Joey Votto mm-hmm. would have been so fun to have in that clubhouse. Even though, I, I mean, I'm a big Matt Carpenter guy. I love him. It'll be just fun to see him around again. I think it'll end up coming down to how much do they actually use that roster spot. Um, I know that, like, obviously you want to maximize your 26 guys, but I kind of, I think the hope this year is that they're not relying on the full bench that much, that they're kind of rotating that are top nine or 10 guys most of the time, that pretty much every day you're going to see Donovan, Newbar, Walker, Goldie, Nato, Contreras, and then if not Contreras, Ivan Herrera, and then Contreras is probably DHing. Gorman win like you kind of hope those starting nine at those top nine or ten guys are playing pretty much every day and then Dylan Carlson comes in to relieve the outfield every once in a while but obviously injuries play a factor so that you can you can't necessarily control that side of it but I think in an ideal world they're having most of those guys playing 140 plus games 150 plus games and so you're not necessarily needing that 26 guy to play a lot And so I just don't think Joey Votto would have wanted that kind of role on the team. But if they end up needing to use that roster spot a lot, it would have have made a lot more sense in my opinion. But then I'm also struggling to know how often you can fit a first base DH guy into that lineup. Mm -hmm. Because when your starting nine is fully healthy, one of of Gorman or Donovan is going to DH. And then when there's off days, it's going to be Goldie at DH, Nato at DH, Contreras at DH. So how often does a Carpenter actually play? Or how often would Joey Votto be able to fit in the lineup? I I tend to think it's going to be very infrequent. Like, I would put Matt Carpenter's total at bats in twenty twenty four under two hundred. I just really don't see him playing at all. Um, and I and I hope I'm not wrong on that. I think if he ends up playing a lot more, it's probably not a good thing unless he has some kind of resurgent season, like not to the Pujols level, but like that, where it's like lightning in a bottle. But I think the Cardinals' hope is that he he pretty much does not play unless it's a random pinch hit opportunity here or there, which that makes that's why I don't really I don't have strong opinions about that signing because I never really thought that that twenty sixth man spot was going to play much. I thought Herrera, Carlson, and Burleson would get the playing time off that bench, but then even Burleson, I don't really envision playing a ton just because I do think they want to prioritize those best nine guys most days. And then that's that's fair, and you're probably right. You, you know, we do tend to focus on some of these little small spots, and it it doesn't tend to work out. But um, on the other hand, I mean, to some degree, and we've heard this before, when the Cardinals play shorthanded with a uh, you know somebody that's hurt or that's not on the injured list, you know, you yeah. go to the game with 24, 25 men instead of twenty six, um, and sometimes that can make a difference. Um, sure. You know, again, probably not as much. Um, but, and, and you're right, I, I think that at least early on in the spring or in the fall that Joey Votto was looking for a job, not a full-time job, but at least a, a part-time, yeah. you know, you know, a platoon, platoon split or something like that. You know, by now he might take anything. <laughs> I mean, he really seems like he wants to be. Uh, and just to have, like you said, just to have that legend on the field in yeah. a Cardinal uniform. We've seen it before with, you know, people like Larry Walker and, and others that have come in kind of late in their career, Will Clark, that have come in and, and done well um, and kind of endeared themselves to a new fan base. So that would have been a lot of fun. Um, 
that's also maybe a little bit more creative than the Cardinals are going to do. I mean, that's just not necessarily something that's been in their wheelhouse. Yeah. And I do think part of it too, again, it's like, to your point, it's usually never as simple as you can play your best nine guys almost every day. Mm -hmm. But I think that's their hope is that with so many of them being young guys that outside of, I mean, I know Donovan missed time, significant time last year with an elbow injury, but that wasn't like a chronic injury that you expect him to consistently have that should be a one and done thing outside of Gorman most of the young guys on the roster should be guys that should be able to play most days and so I think in an ideal world like you look at the Atlanta Braves last year they had most of their guys played 145 150 games which obviously I'm not trying to say they're the Atlanta Braves offensive talent right. wise but like I think their hope is that they can consistently play the same 9 to 10 11 guys almost every day but like you said most times it doesn't work out like that and if it doesn't go that way then you start to have to use the carpenters of the world more often so it makes a stronger argument for avado but I, I do think the potential of this team is significantly higher if you can guarantee me that walker gorman donovan newbar win like all those guys are playing 140 plus games i feel really good about this team if that's happening all right well as we start to wrap up tonight again game starting tomorrow what are you looking for especially in the first week uh, of spring training is there anything that you might be looking for in these first few games um mainly health because i just obviously there's injuries that pop up and so if someone has a minor strain or, or significant injury that's going to significantly impact the roster construction so health is by far number one and then second would be like some of these minor uh, battles that are happening with the thompson or libertor for like that six-man role um, or like Sajasi at shortstop, like can he be someone they can confidently rely on that in a pinch he could be someone that comes up in May and June to play shortstop if needed. Otherwise, most of the guys, like I just don't take stock in uh, performance on the field in spring training. For the most part, guys are just trying to get ready for the season. They're not trying to put up a 300 average or to have lead the Grapefruit League in ERA. Like they're trying to be sharp for uh, opening day. So I'd say mostly it's just the health of the team and then those little roster battles. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it typically doesn't mean much. Um, then again, you have a, you know, last year Jordan Walker earned his way onto the team yeah. uh, with a strong spring. So it's not impossible. Um, you know, that said, we're looking at a, a slate of 32 games, uh, in which case a lot of those that, you know, people aren't going to play in. Um, you know, but our league, you know, team leader is going to have what, maybe 30 at bats, 35 yeah. at bats, maybe. So, I mean, it's, it's such a small sample that even the good stuff, and we've seen it every year. We saw it with Taylor Motter last year. We've seen it with other people that have a really great spring and they wind up getting on the roster and then it just, it doesn't pan out. So, yeah. you know, if somebody does great in spring, maybe we, you know, don't clamor for them so quite so hard. If somebody's <laughs> struggling in spring, maybe, um, you know, we're not necessarily ready to cut bait unless it's Matt Carpenter. Then we're probably ready to cut bait, yeah. I guess. But uh, um, yeah, I think it's been interesting. And you're right. I think you can't really tell in the first week. Um, True. But as we get closer to the end of the, I think it's going to be very interesting to see who get used out of the bullpen gets used out of the bullpen and how they get used you know are we seeing 
a Middleton in the sixth inning, or are we seeing him in the eighth inning? Um, you know, again, early on it's, it's set, right? You know, we know what these guys are going to pitch in this game. We know these guys are going to pitch in this game. Yeah. But as we get into, you know, getting closer to that, that Cubs series that you and I were talking about a little bit before the show uh, in Arizona, right before, you know, by then, we should probably get an idea of usage patterns. You know, are, are they going to be able to rely on Raleigh O'Brien? Or is he going to make a jump up and, you know, be the, you know, we're talking about a lot of, a lot of smoke coming out around him early on. So, you know, can he make that step up? Uh, how they use these guys um, should be really interesting to watch as, as the spring goes on. For sure. And I think that's one of the underrated parts of the team too, or, or at least maybe where they could take significant steps forward or could be part of their downfall is that I really like the rotation or the bullpen mix that they've created. But at the same time, it's a lot of guys that you're not really sure what they could do at the major league level. Mm -hmm. So there's a world where I see this bullpen being a top 10 unit in all of baseball because they have a lot of really good stuff or they could be a pretty average or below average unit. And that hurts the team a lot. So I I do agree with you watching how Riley O'Brien or Nick Robertson, Ryan Fernandez, um, even the uh, Keenan Middleton or Andrew Kittredge, how their stuff looks in spring will go a long way toward how we feel about the team come April or May. All right. Well, it's been a, a good conversation. If we hit the hit the hour mark, but uh, Josh enjoyed having you on. We'll we'll do it again. What you I know you talked about. You've got a uh, a, a off season grading um, article coming up. Is there anything else that's coming soon? Yeah, I'd say that's probably a big one. Um, I've kind of looked at some of the shortstop options on the free agent market because we've seen Nick Ahmed, but there's a couple other guys floating out there that could be potential options. So I've got some stuff coming out in that. And then I am starting to think a little bit ahead toward the future. So talking about championship window, looking at like the three-year outlook for the Cardinals, I've got some stuff cooking on that. So Redbird Rants, we've always got three to four stories up a day. So there's plenty of content there. And then uh, the podcast, we usually post episodes on Sundays and Wednesdays, but then we have a special episode coming out tomorrow. So if you uh, subscribe to the new news podcast, we're on YouTube, but then also other audio platforms. Andrew, Sandy, and I have started doing some fun, like scripted pre-made content that uh, we just put our our top 10 or most important Cardinals for 2024, a video out recently on that. Um, And then we have a similar type of video coming out tomorrow um that you'll just have to check out the new news podcast tomorrow if you want to subscribe to that but uh, usually two to three episodes of the new news podcast a week and then plenty of stories between myself and the other contributors on Redbird Rant. so uh daniel seriously thanks for having me on i'd love to come on again sometime too and I, we, we joked earlier at the beginning that i had a uh, good guest lined up or that we did on the new news but i feel like you've got some heavy hitters on your schedule right now too so i'm excited to continue to listen to your stuff well, well, thank you. And yes, next next week we have, uh, we may have put a content warning because it's Kyle Reese joining us next week. Um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk prospects and all that. It's always fun to have Kyle, yes. Kyle join us. So, um, but anyway, until next week, for Josh, I'm Daniel. Good night. They just won't go away. All right. We are here with the voice that you know uh, in his other role. We've got Alan Medlock back on the show for a little bit to talk about the Tulsa Hell Rangers and Alan, first of all, very good to talk to you again. And and how is, how are things on the baseball diamond? No, I'm excited to be back on. I was, I was actually thinking about it all day today. I was like, okay, Wednesday night, I get to talk a little bit of baseball and uh, after seeing all the spring training stuff and, you know, we've been going, uh, we've been 
I mean, nose to the grindstone right now, man. But uh, it's going really well. We uh, we scrimmaged Monday night, played pretty well against a historically good team. We played a varsity and a JV squad, and we split with those guys. And um, it, the weird thing that we've had to deal with, and you have to do this every year a little bit, not to this extreme, is deal with the weather a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had – we had very, very extreme cold. I mean, almost close to, you know, 10 to 15 degrees below zero and all the water had to get shut off and all that stuff to the ballpark, which affects it. You couldn't do the field too much. Then we had a real heavy rain. Then we had a snow. Then it was followed by another cold spell. So it was really tough to get out after, uh, in the second semester, we haven't really done too much, but, but we've gotten really lucky. We've had a lot of really good practices. Our pitchers are ready to go. Uh, we're all hitting between that 75 to 100 pitch mark, which is you, typically our goal by March 1, which is opening day for us, especially for the kids that we that we have penciled in as starters. But right now, things are going well. Uh, we've had a few surprises in camp. We had uh, two sophomores that, that, that are probably penciled in right now to start for us. I was wondering how senior heavy we would be this year because my senior group's really good. They were sophomores when I took the job, and and uh, they've really grown into a, a good group of ball players. One of them, at least, I think will play some college baseball, and I have a junior that I think is going to get to that point as well. But but no, no, right now I feel like we're in a pretty good spot, and uh, you know we have some pretty direct goals from what we're going to shoot for this year. But uh, but right now I think we're having a lot of fun. We are playing pretty well, and we are getting a lot of interest from other kids in other sports that want to come out and try it, which, you know, step one for me was to, to form a culture that kids want to be around, and uh, and I feel like we're doing that. Um, we've had, we put in a, a daily uh, inspiration that we do every day in practice, and I build it into our practice plan, and now it's, it's funny. The kids love to do it. And our admin have actually been coming down and being special guests and help us. So, so I think that I think we're moving in the right direction right now. So I'm pretty pleased with where we are. Yeah, this is this is your third season out there, and let's. I want to talk for people that don't know. And Alan and I, of course, we would talk about it quite a bit as we were getting ready for the show or or any things like that. We didn't really bring it on to the show very much, but you you took this over at a spot that it was really struggling. Um, sure, and it it really seems like you've made a lot of strides over the last you know, well, two seasons and then getting in here now into your third. Sure. I, yeah. I mean, it put us back on the map, a little bit of history of where, uh, you know, Tulsa Nathan Hale is when I was in high school. And when I was in college, Hale was the baseball school. We had uh, more baseball history than anybody, several state titles. And, and uh, they were really, really good. 98 when I was, uh, when I was in school, when I was in, in college at the time, and uh, then there were just some things that happened within TPS to where they've grown to a more magnet school program. They've since kind of gotten away from that a little bit. It's a long story. And I don't want to get, get in the weeds about it. But but uh, there was a couple schools that were flat left out. And there were some schools that, don't, that lost baseball completely. Um, they were on the verge of losing it when they called me. They said, we may not be able to field a team. You know, we don't have anybody. And. You know, the first year they called me was right at the end of the pandemic. And, you know, with my family situation, it just I just didn't feel completely comfortable doing it. And, well, I say the end, but it was it was the 2021 season. And then um, around some into summer, August of of 21, 
which would have been the 21-22 season, uh, the AD called me and said, hey, we may not be able to fill the team. He goes, how interested would you be in this? And I thought it over, and I went to Amber, and I was in, in school to get my master's, but I didn't think about coaching and teaching. I just kind of thought I would get out of the medical side of things. And and uh, it's been the best decision I made. I mean, I love it. And it's one of those to where I – a few of the objectives I had when I took over, and I told that admin this, that – that I wanted to, that it's going to take time and we're going to build a culture. Our socioeconomic, mm, where we are with that makes baseball extremely difficult. I mean, these kids can't afford travel ball. Uh, you'd be surprised how many gloves and everything we were giving away in the beginning. And, uh, and to do that, to build a culture, to change the perception in the school, to change the perception in the district, and then next thing I wanted to do was get these alumni involved. You know, here I know several guys that have won state titles, went to state tournaments, that went, you know, all those things that they're just wondering how they can be involved. So that was step number two. And I feel like we've done all those things and we've done a really good job and we've we've really re-energized the alumni. I mean, we we get a lot of visits. We get a lot of we like we get money poured in. I mean, things that were just kind of unheard of. We are. uh I mean, we're still in a rebuild. This will be the best team I've had. Uh, we have a lot of senior leadership, but uh, but we're still. I mean, we're still trying to put ourselves on the map, and it's just from where it used to be to where it is now. Um, it was really in the doldrums, and now I'm proud to say that you know we we get quite a bit of attention now. I mean, within the district and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's we really battled to do some field a lot of field work it, it had been left and it you know just neglect essentially you know because no one was there to to uh no one was there to make a fuss about doing it and in the district has really come out and started helping me on the field and and doing a lot of things so i think that we've come you know light years from where it was and our kids are the, the grades are good our graduation rate is high i mean all the things that you know when you take the job you realize that even as competitive as we all are, you think that the wins and losses are going to matter, but that's really not the most important thing. I mean, it's I, I take a lot of pride in getting these kids to love baseball, want to play at the next level, whether that's at the collegiate level or they want to keep playing in men's league or they want to get in to coach, which is probably the most uh, – that's probably the most flattering situation is when you hear that stuff from those guys. But bottom line, they still want to be involved in the program, and, and to me that's a big win. That, yeah, that is that is huge um, to get them involved like that because, like I said, you were recruiting from, from a lot of other sports and everything like that. So to be able to pull those people in and get them excited is really great. Um, looking at this year's team, I mean, again, you I know you've had some, like you said, you've had some troubles with getting practices because of weather. You've only had the one scrimmage. But when you, when you think about what you've got with this team um, – where do you think the strong suit is um, besides the senior leadership? Like, you know, are, are, are you going to be an offense first or a, or a pitching first type of team? Well, in high school, especially in our situation, the offense first is, is really tough because a lot of the kids don't play summer ball. So, that, well, they played summer league with us and then some of them play in the other sports and, and they'll, they'll go down and they'll hit with us. I open the cages up at six fifty every morning. I have a crowd, you know, they go down and swing and whatnot. But one thing that, that, that gets easily, overlooked is the fact that i mean we're hitting in 30 and 40 degree weather early in the season and that's that that usually runs out 
you know, you're going to start breaking the 50s and 60s in the evening a lot, usually around April. So you typically get off to a, a slow start. That being said, we're going to have some kids that are going to swing in a little bit. Um, and they're, they're just competitors. That's going to help us. We have two kids at the front of our rotation that, that could be pretty special. One, unfortunately, is a senior. And he was a move-in. He helped me out. And uh, he moved in and, and helped us last year. Baseball background. Lucked out, moved in with the family here, uh, was playing football, realized we had baseball, came over, and he's one of those that, you know, time is time can always be the enemy in those situations because if he had played through middle school or whatnot, he would be really, really good. I mean, he has he has baseball IQ unlike a lot of people, or baseball skill, and maybe lacks a little of the IQ to take you to the next level, but he will beat teams on the mound. The other kid that we have is uh, – is a um, he, he's native. He is strong, one of the strongest kids in school, one of the fastest kids in school. Was a football linebacker. He fell in love with baseball. He'll kind of play a little bit of everywhere for us this year, but but he's our one A on the bump. Probably touches close to eighty miles an hour. And one of my uh, one of the one of the alumni who who pitched here for a state title, and then is coincidentally that you'll like he's in the Arkansas Hall of Fame mm-hmm. as a pitcher when they went to the College World Series and yeah don't quote me was it 79 I think that's right I think that's it's 79 right. I think and he flat told me that Levin has D1 breaking stuff and uh you know I'm super proud of that because I mean this is a kid who who picked up pitching for the first time as a freshman had never really put a glove on before and now you know after his sophomore year he got invited to one of the big time JUCO camps around here and now you hear those kind of accolades so to answer your question i think if i was to say something that may be strong it would be the front end of our pitching and that's one of those things that 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 goes a long way in high school so that's where i think that we may have turned the knee turned the corner a little bit is the fact that we have a couple of kids that can throw effectively I assume knowing knowing you and knowing your background, you're drilling them on all the fundamentals. I assume is the defense going to be there? We're, yeah. Oh yeah. We have a. Uh, that's that's one of those things to where you kind of have to learn how to win, especially when you've been in a situation where you're in the doldrums and 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 you realize how quickly that you could overcoach some of them. And I mean, and it's I I love it in the situation that we're in because it's a you know I say this to them all the time. I go, you throw it, you catch it, and you hit it. Those are the basics of the game, and the teams that are the best do those the best. And that's how so that's how simple things can be. And I said a lot of it's just just pitch, just playing catch. You know those those little things, and uh, and it, it they go a long way. I mean, I think that we could we could. I mean, there's a lot of better coaches than I am that are that are doing a lot of high tech stuff and a lot of high tech drills and stuff like that. And my my the drills that we like to put in are all about catching it, all about throwing it, all about moving your feet, you know, all about teamwork. And and it's really paid dividends. I mean, we, we've we seen a lot of growth from some of these guys. I mean, there's we have three fre- two freshmen, one of which came, I actually coached his uncle. He was a senior my first year, and now he's really moving up the charts with us. Listens, extremely coachable. There's two other kids that just were in my freshman class. And – uh Decided they wanted to give it a shot. They weren't playing anything. So they thought about it. And, you know, I went from worried they were going to get hurt to working on them fundamentally so much that they're involved in our pregame and everything now. So, 
you know, that's what we try to do. We try to make it fun and we try to simplify everything. When you look at your competition and I know you, you know, you made strides last year in this regard and competing against everybody else in your, in your league in, 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 in Tulsa and, and in the surrounding areas. What does that look like for y'all this year? It's good. I mean, that's one of the, one of the issues that we have through, through TPS with us is we're in 1100 kid daily attendance with, through our school, which puts us in the, uh, the five, a bracket, which is the second, which is the second largest. Um, we have schools, whether we run a 32 team, uh, 32 team, um, five, a has 32 teams. Let's put it that way. And those are broken down into districts, four districts. And, uh, it's un, you know, it's really unforgiving. I mean, you have a lot of historically good every year state tournament teams that are that that you play against, and uh, and you know we were completely overwhelmed our first year. What we wanted to do from year one to year two was to cut down on the run rules and make them go seven innings, get out of innings on our own, you know, three up, three down, and we made a lot of strides in that. And now I feel like we've made enough strides to where we're going to be dangerous with some of those teams. Because a lot of times you're not getting there, you're not getting their number one, or necessarily their number two on one of those first two nights of districts. And you know, if teams mess around with us like that this year, we're gonna probably we may really move the needle as far as competitiveness. Um, some of our team goals is we're wanting to win twelve games, and that would be the most in probably fifteen years, maybe longer mm-hmm. than that. We're going to try to be at least a three between a two and a three in a, in a region. And we're going to try to win our first regional game in 20 years. Um, we had it in our grasp last year and let it go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember us talking about that, that one. I think we even talked about it on the show. That was a, a well, drop. and it was, it was our sophomore pitcher that just kind of lost control of the strike zone. So I don't like to talk about it because I think he, he wears it. But now I feel like he's turned that into, hey, this is what's going to drive me, which I think we may win out overall on that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I look forward to how many uh, – you said you, your goal is to win 12. How many games are in the season? We, uh, we, we will play about 35 regular season games. Okay. And uh, between scrimmages and playoffs, you're going to push to about 40. Okay. You're looking we want to. But our goal is we want to play around 500 as much as much as we can. We have, we have uh, two in season tournaments. Your goal there is to go in and win it, win a couple. Mm-hmm. You want to defend your home and win eight to ten at home, and you know one of those things. So you know, starting small and just kind of move incrementally up is, is what we're trying to do. Sure. Well, I look forward to to us kind of following along this season, and you know, our goal is to every week have a little bit this one's a little bit longer we're probably more like the 10 minute or so range talking about what has happened the last week uh for their t- for the Tulsa Hale uh Rangers um we're looking forward to to following along this year and you know I know their gains have been our loss but you know I think we've had a pretty decent uh your your shoes have been filled fairly decently so sure. far yeah 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 uh, without a doubt so uh we'll we'll keep that going and um we look forward to to hearing more about it in the next few weeks but um, you know, good luck for this season. No, I appreciate it. I love talking about it. So the, uh, um, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I'll give you guys some updates. We'll post, 
We have a team store open. Anybody wants to help out on that, you know, we'll start. I will, I'll start being much more interactive online on those things. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get the, and if there's a team store, we'll try to put it either in the, in the show notes or we'll share it out on Twitter or, or someplace that you can get your, get your swag. If that's what you want. <laughs> absolutely. So, all right. To I'll, a good well, cause. I promise. Absolutely. So yeah. good talking to you and we'll do it again next week. All right. Thanks buddy. I appreciate you. And make sure I get my words right. Um, cause I got a decent chance of getting fined and my wife, Michelle, you know, gosh, darn it. Um, 